take what I say today. Father, make it real, make it challenging, make it life-giving, oh Lord. Father, it may be my words, but it's what you do with it that matters. And Lord, I pray in the name of Jesus, use it in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. Well, at the end of this week, it's May. Does that shock anyone? Right? It's May. Four months, a third of the year has already gone. Yet, literally, just yesterday we had New Year's Eve. I'm certain of it. Right? Just, just seems like last week, you know, there was fireworks everywhere, people doing all sorts of things. It was watch fire, all sorts of things. You celebrate the new year. For me, it wasn't so good. I had COVID. I was in bed by 7 p.m., right? But we, we, it, was, it was new, and it seemed so soon, so, so not long ago. So we made resolutions. You know, all of us, we say we don't, but we all have a little secret one. You know, I'm going to do this this year. I'm going to do that next year. You would look at the statistics of gym memberships. They would have all skyrocketed right there in January. And right now in May, they're not going as well as they were. I would have thought, you know, the first seven chapters of Genesis and the first seven chapters of Matthew would have been so widely read in those first few weeks of January. I'm going to read the Bible this year. I'm going to start at Genesis. I'm going to read it through and probably around, you know, Jacob, you kind of go, oh, man, I just didn't. And then, you know, everything up to Jacob, not sure what happened after that. All right? So that's what happens. It's just how we are. You know, maybe you decide, I'm going to visit, you know, people more often. I'm going to be nicer to my family. I'm going to enroll in a course. I'm, I'm going to start doing something at church. I'm, I'm going to start to go to church twice on a Sunday. And you're all declared. And we've all declared this way, whether we made resolutions or not, we said this year is going to be different, all right? This year is going to be different. Yeah, here we are in May, and some of you may have carried on with your good deeds, but for most of us, they've sitting now in the place of good intentions, and that's all they are. So I might be sounding a little bit cynical around New Year's resolutions and their value, but in actual fact, I actually like the fact that people make New Year's resolutions. We make them because a new year represents promise. A new year represents hope. What Jason just talked about, a new year represents potential. A new year represents faith. A new year causes you to look forward and not back. Because looking back is of little value. What looking back does, it causes you to get stuck in a place. It causes you to, to, to be rooted so you can't go forwards. You're just looking back and so you can't go forward. Your whole posture is one of saying, I'm not going forwards, I'm going to go backwards. Remember Lot's wife. Jesus uses that term. And uh, in the Luke 17, I think it is. Or, yeah, around there, Luke 17. Luke's, I'm not sure. But he uses those terms. And he's talking about the end of days. And he's saying, don't, don't look back, look forward. Don't look back. I want you to look forward. The, the story comes from Genesis 17. Lot's wife has got no name. She's not given a name. It's just kind of like important because she was who she was married to. 
which tells you a little bit about something, right? So the story is that God sends two angels to bring judgment to Sodom. Sodom's so bad that while these angels are there, they stay at Lot's house, a mob forms outside and they say, give us these men that are staying in your house because we want to have our way with them. Like, that's pretty bad. We think things are bad right now. Let me tell you, they can actually get worse. You know, they, they are asking to have relations. They're asking for these men to essentially, we want to rape these men. So the angels, they're not excited by that, right? So they, uh, they go, no, we're going to declare some judgment here because that's what they were sent to do. And they say, we're going to do judgment. But what they do is they give Lot and his wife and family the opportunity to actually get out. Now, the Bible says that she lingers. So they didn't do it immediately that they were asked to, right? They linger there for a while. They start to, shall I, shan I? And that's what happens sometimes with the will of God. Instead of doing what God has asked, we linger, we wait. We kind of go, shall I, shan I? Can I just weigh this up? What's good and what's not? All of these different things other than listening to what it is that God has said. And so they linger for a while. And then what happens is that they see something's going on. They decide to go and they go. And then in direct kind of opposition to what God had asked them to do, don't look back. What we see is that Lot's wife looks back. She looks back, and as she looks back, she gets rooted to her spot because she becomes a pillar of stone. She stops in her tracks, her inability to look forward to where she was going, but instead concentrating on what she left behind leads her to going nowhere. It leads her to being stuck. There may have been a longing for her past. May have been a longing for what she felt comfortable for. It may have been to see whether God was going to do what it is that he said he was going to do. You know, commentators speculate all different reasons as to why she looked back, but the Bible doesn't tell us, so maybe being not that important. But the thing that it does say is that because she looked back, she became a pillar of salt and she no longer went forward. See, when we look back, we always get stuck. When we look back, we always create false scenarios of what it was actually like. The children of Israel were under terrible slavery. They're delivered by God. They're in the desert. It gets a bit tough. And they look back to Egypt and they say, we want the leeks and garlics of Egypt. We want what we had in Egypt. They forget that Egypt was terrible. They forget that their backs were being whipped. They forget that they were being asked to make bricks without straw. They actually forget what it was actually like and they create a scenario of what they want it to be or what they believe it was like. And that's what happens. You actually pick and cherry pick what it is that you want to remember about what it is in your past and it doesn't help you. You know, when you're looking back, you're not going forward. But that's not always the case. All of us know Matt Hines. He's a good friend of mine. His dad was doing a missions trip in Africa. He had a, uh, a, an old car and then something happened to the gearbox. And so he was unable to drive forward and could only drive in reverse. 
right? So he went 450 miles, right? Wow. Like this, 450 miles in reverse. So he's going forward, but he's actually in reverse, right? So I just think that, I just... I just think that's the most incredible story that you drive through Africa in reverse. Imagine like, imagine like you look in your vision mirror, right? And there's, like, there's a car reversing towards you. All right. So my car has a rear vision mirror, and I love it. It actually has a rear vision camera. Uh, it's, it's fantastic. Who likes that? They are very, very good. I, I get into a park the first time every time. Right, every time I, I love it. I never actually thought I used it. I thought I was just using my driving skills. And then one day I used one of my daughter's cars that didn't have a reversing camera. And I'm like, like just like looking everywhere. Like the sore neck after doing that. Right? So, but the interesting thing is, is that your rear vision camera turns off the moment that you start moving forward. Your car doesn't want you concentrating on what's behind you. See, I have a rear vision mirror in the car, but that's pointing forward, and it's way smaller than the windscreen, right? You wouldn't want your rear vision mirror being the size of your windscreen, right? It's just to have a little check. It's designed so that I can see what's behind me while still moving forward. See, learning from your past is life's rear vision mirror. I learn lessons from what it is that I've been through so that I can continue to move forward. And what it does is it helps you to learn from your mistakes. And we all should. You should learn from your mistakes. And, and, but when you do and you're thinking about your mistakes, what you're actually doing is thinking about your mistakes in terms of your future. You actually want a different future. So what happens is that you change what you're, what you, you actually look at the past uh, and then change what you're doing so you can actually move forward. Let me give you a, uh, an example of how the two different thoughts are. I dealt with my kid in this matter, yet all it did was build resentment. So now I'm going to try this. So mistakes have been made. It hasn't been great the way that you dealt with your kid and there's issues now. But because you learn from your mistakes, you make a change and you start to deal with it in a better way. That is a good way to learn from your mistakes. That's like using the things of the past to actually move forward. But there's another way and the wrong way to look at this is look back this way. I dealt with my kid in this matter. All I did was build resentment, so I'm a bad father, and now my kid is certainly going to suffer. See the difference in mindset? One is about the future. The other one sticks you in your place. I can't do anything. My, I, I'm, I'm in a hopeless place. God can't. It's just, it's just too, I'm just bad. I'm just bad. I'm just bad. See, looking back, without the future in mind, will always bring resignation to your heart. Like Lot's wife, you get stuck and you can't move on. You self-recriminate and it becomes about you. I'm a loser. I never get it right. I'm dumb. I'm fat. I'm unpopular. 
And all those things do is they root you to a spot and there's not an ability for you to move forward. When you look back, you compare yourself to others. He got this. She passed that. Wow, look at their family. Look at the job that he's got. He must be earning so much money. Yet all the while, the Bible tells us that comparing ourselves to others is unwise. And that's why we need to be careful around our social media use. If you feel bad about yourself after going through your social media feed, then maybe you need to consider how much you're on social media. You know, like I'm a pastor. I have lots of pastor friends. And so we all talk about church. And I would sometimes get down on a Monday morning and I'd start to scroll through Instagram and I look at that church and hear that church and my friend, they did this and that church did that and, and this church had this many people like that and, and this person. And, and I found myself after looking at it just feeling, yeah. Right? It didn't stir me. I wasn't unhappy for them. It wasn't like, oh, why are they going to do either? It's just like I ended up feeling like, ugh. It's just feeling like, yuck. I just felt like, I, I, in one way, I felt dirty. That's the only way I can describe it. I just felt dirty. And I just knew that it was affecting me in a way that wasn't right. It was affecting me in making me self-recriminate and all of a sudden thinking it's about me and not about God building his house and, and thinking all these different reasons and, and scenarios, it's not a good thing. What happens is things, I go, I'm, I'm not doing enough, I'm not praying enough, I'm not talented enough, I'm not resourced enough. In fact, I'm not enough. And that's what happens when you start comparing yourself to others. So I stopped doing that. And I've chosen to look at what God has declared and proclaimed over Emerge Church. And God is doing good and wonderful things. You know, like, when you live like that, you actually live like a loved son rather than a beggar just wanting more. And that's what happens. You just start to live as a beggar wanting more rather than as a loved son. And so when you look forward in the promises... See, that's a powerful thing about promises. Promises are given to you now so you can see where God is taking you. That's why I tell you, proclaim and declare the promises of God over your life. That's what heaven's thinking. That's what heaven's saying. That's what heaven is believing for. That's what heaven is declaring. My life might be here right now, but I'm going to see what it is that God says about it. And so therefore I have a future and a hope. You know, unforgiveness is looking back. You choose, you choose to stay in the offense that's perpetrated on you. No matter how bad it was, whatever they did to you, forgiving the person cuts you free and you can move forward. Yeah. Anger and bitterness is looking back because you choose to allow a person or an incident to become a defining marker in your life. It's looking back. People define you. Oh, there goes Tom. He lost his job. There goes Mary. This happened to her. There goes Sally. That happened to her. There goes Tom. This is what happened to him. And you end up becoming defined by the thing that you went through because of the anger and bitterness that you have. Yeah. Having a victim mentality where life's not fair and it's always someone else's fault is looking back because you choose to believe that your future is, all written, is already written and therefore make no effort to change. Living in regret is looking back because you end up agreeing and saying, I don't believe that God has a future 
for me. You know, New Year's resolutions may not work that well, and many people ridicule them, but at least the person who makes them is recognizing that there's an issue and is making an attempt to change their future. They aren't looking back. Because the future is important, because that's where you're going. It's because it's the one place a Christian has a major advantage over the non-Christian. And I'm not just talking about heaven, which is a pretty good future. But I'm talking about right now, here on earth. See, when you start thinking about your future, you start coming into agreement with what God says about you, not what life is trying to push you into. We all know Jeremiah 29 verse 11, one of the most famous verses in the Bible. Many of you would have memorized it and many of you would feel that it's a personal word for yourself. Let's read it together. For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not disaster to give you a future and a hope. I want us to read it all together. For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not for disaster to give you a future and a hope. When God thinks about you, he's not actually thinking to you about your past. He's not thinking about all your sins. He's not all thinking about your inadequacies. He's not thinking about any of those things. He's thinking about your future. No matter how dark it is today, no matter how close to the edge of the cliff you are today. As you look to God, He's not looking at that. He's looking at the future that He has for you. That's where God thinks. When He thinks about you, He's thinking about your future. When you forget, as the Apostle Paul tells us, the past and press on to that which God has for us, then we are thinking in God's realm. Your thinking is matching God's thinking. Plans for good and not for failure. Plans for the future. And how cool is that? So if you're today going through the darkest day of your life and it just seems there is no light, then cry out to God and He will give you light that will bring light firstly to your feet so you know what to do today because his word is a, a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path, and then a light to see where you're going. That's what you need to do today. You don't need to look past and see all the things that happened to you, those things that weren't fair, those things that weren't right, those things that kind of all scream at you. There's no hope. There's no hope. That's a cry from the enemy where I'm going to hear what God's word says. And that light is going to come and I'm going to see a future that now I can come into agreement with, believe and declare and proclaim. See, God has a good plan for your future. It's not for disaster. One of the great things, and it's been a truism of my life, one of the great scriptures has been Proverbs 3, somewhere and it says, do not fear sudden disaster. Now, you can read that one of two ways. Well, some disaster won't happen to you. I personally believe that you're alive. We don't know what's going to happen to us, right? Sudden disaster can definitely happen to us. But what happens is that if a sudden disaster happens to me, I don't need to fear. Yeah. God's got this. 
There's nothing that's happened to you or happening to you that God's going, what? Did that happen? My, I didn't see that one coming. Oh my goodness. No. When God gave you your promise, when God spoke to you, when God said those things, when God put those desires in your heart, he knew that that sudden disaster was going to come. And yet it wouldn't be a disaster. It wouldn't be because he's got a plan that works, does something good for us. See, God has a plan for you, and it's not a disaster. It's not to bring shame. It's not to bring hurt. And I want to tell you this. It's not to teach you character through tough times. God doesn't create scenarios in our life just so we can learn something. Because scenarios in our life happen enough. Right? They literally happen enough that God just uses them. And I wonder if the guys could bring up uh, the whiteboard, please. And I want to illustrate something to you, but I'm going to need the whiteboard. Romans 8, verse 28, another verse many of us would have spoken of and memorized. And we know that those, for the, and start again, and we know that for those who love God, all things, everyone say all things. All things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Wow, this pulpit's heavier than the other one. What's that? <laughs> so, all things work together for good to those who love God. I reckon if we go to microphone... You go, that didn't work out too good for me, right? That didn't seem to, to work out. That was pretty bad, actually. You know, but the Bible says all things work together for those who love God. How can that be? How, how is that? Is the Bible just lying there? Is it just kind of like, just believe it, even though it's not true for you? No, the Bible's being completely truthful. And I just want to show you something, right? I'm a very bad drawer, and a very bad speller, so no judgment, please. All right? If I, if I don't know how to spell a word, I'll just work squiggles and say <laughs> that's the word. All right, so you start life here, and you end life there. Are we learning? Right? So, uh, <laughs> right? so and then this is your walk. All right? So here you become a Christian. You become a Christian here, you're at the start. Right, and you're just walking along, life's good. And then boom, right? A sudden disaster hits you. Right? So all of a sudden something happens. You got a divorce. Right? One a child died. You lost a job. There was some, it's it's horrible. You believed God for this, and yet it didn't happen. An engagement broke up. You sinned when you thought you wouldn't sin. You did something that, that is, just wasn't wonderful, right? And, and so you, you, there's all sorts of things. There's many, many disasters. If we went around, be there. so you're hitting there. So depending on the pace that you're running, right? So depending on the pace you're running. So if you're running just slowly, you kind of you hit that thing and you bounce back to there. If you're running hard, boom, you run back. I remember going through a time in my life where in a very short period of time, I lost a job, my engagement broke up, the house that I lived in for a, uh, 
a long time. The owners come and told us they were selling, and then I hurt my back and I was walking around like, right? All in about a period of two weeks. It was a sudden disaster, and I just thought, I can't trust God. Then to top it all off, I'd been told that I'd be the next person coming on staff at the church, and then they put someone else on, didn't even talk to me, didn't even let me know, thinking, like, what the heck's going on? Right? And it was just all these disappointments in my physical life, in my spiritual life, in my ministry life, in my work life, everything, and then in my relationship life. Right? Everything just went down in just a very small period of time. I thought I was Job. I was just waiting for boils to break out on me. <laughs> right? And, uh, and so it was just like, it was just a very bad time. And then I thought, I can't really trust God anymore. I can't trust God anymore because I, I gave him hard. I worked hard. I, I've run hard for this Christian stuff and yet it's let me down. Look at me. Look at my life. Everything's turned. Everything's gone bad. And so I went back. But I, I literally remember being at a set of lights and I thought if I turn right, I'm going to go to the youth group tonight and if I turn left, I'm going to go to the casino and I'm going to get a job as a croupio. I worked out there was this girl at church. I'll, get, I'll talk her into coming with me and we'll travel the world and I'll become a croupier at a casino, right? And then I remember turning right, going to church, but pulling over and going, God, I'm so don't want to do this, but I don't want to go to hell. It was literally that. And I was just so uptight. And so what I did is I went to church, but I lived a faithless church. I lived a faithless Christianity. I made sure that I, I didn't ask God for anything. I, I didn't put a demand on God. I, I didn't believe for anything. I, I just let it be. I, I didn't really enter into worship. It's just kind of like every now and again, if they said, raise your hand, all right, I'll raise your hand. But it wasn't true. And I remember one night where God was just really moving, and I turned to the person next to me and go, gee, I picked a bad night to have a bad attitude, right? <laughs> and Because it's just where I was. What happened is I took on all these behaviors because I hit hard. And I took on all these behaviors, right? So I'll put a sad face, right? I put on all these behaviors. Here I was. And I was like that maybe for a year or so, where I just lived this faithless Christianity, took on behaviors, took on uh, attitudes, took on sins that I'd overcome. And he could have sit there and go, wow, it, it, it didn't work out good for him. He, he, he went through anything, but it didn't work out good for him. So what happens is that if I'd kept on walking, blah, 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 I would have got to here, right? So what happens, as the Bible says, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. So it happened at one stage, I was at a youth camp, to be honest. I was at a youth camp, which is why I make sure all you kids, I was one of the leaders there. How funny is that? Right? Uh, right? So, I was and, and God just got into my heart. God spoke to me. God nailed me. And at that time, I realized I do love God. And what I want is I want to walk according to his purpose again. I remember being really mad that someone was praying for me because I didn't want them to pray for me, but they did. And then God was supposed to be a gentleman, but he wasn't. Right? He just came and overcome me. Right? And, and so... I just sit there and go, okay, God, I give up. I'll start to have faith again. But there was an element of fear because I trusted God and, and it failed. It hadn't gone the way I wanted, but I knew that God was calling. And so the moment, the literal moment 
that I decided that my love for God and I was going to walk again according to his purpose. I was going to walk again according to his light. I was going to walk again according to his word. I was going to walk again. All of a sudden, I found myself here. Oh, this is a terrible drawing. All right. This time I'll be happy. All right? That's... <laughs> Sorry. Right. <laughs> Don't ever send your kids to art tutoring to me. So what happens is this. All the things that I experienced here, all the things that were going on in my mind, all these behaviors, all these things, brings this understanding. It's called the treasures of darkness. In a dark period of life, God is still teaching you about him. And so what happens is that you find yourself here once again. All the things, the bad things, the sins. The very sins that you've done are what's going to call you into your calling because now I have an understanding. I'm not going to judge someone now who feels like giving up. How dare you give up? That's a sin. Doubt's a sin. No, I'm going to say, okay, let's walk together in this. Let's remember that God loves you. Let's remember that there's a plan and a call and a purpose for your life. Let's start to get on those. I'm not going to demand that it happens in a day. What? You haven't changed your attitude from last week? That's it. You're out of this church. Go. We only want high, full-on believers. No. I'm going to walk. I'm going to understand. I'm going to understand how someone got there. I'm going to be able to pray with them. I'm going to be able to remind them of their words that they've had in their lives. I'm going to draw them to the fact that they're loved of God, that they call according to their purpose because I understand. And then what happens is that once that happens, once that I'm called according to his purpose, I'm in exactly the same spot that I would have been had I not gone through that. God didn't create this. Life creates it. I never believe that God creates disaster for your life to teach you something. He just uses it. God didn't create the incident. God didn't create all those things that happened to me. God used those things. And to be honest, I believe makes me a better pastor because I now have an understanding of some of those things rather than a I'm better than you sort of attitude over other people. It gives me the ability to have some empathy. You know, like, uh, I won't use that illustration, right? So <laughs> that's a bit close. All right, so, uh, you know, Peter is running along for God and then he hits this thing, Jesus gets killed, he denies Christ and he gets knocked back to here and he just goes fishing. He just goes fishing. One day he's fishing, someone stands at the shore of his, caught any fish? How frustrating would that have been to Peter? <laughs> right? He's been fishing all night. He's a professional fisherman. There's some joker yelling out at him, have you caught any fish? Why don't you try the other side? I'm a professional fisherman. You think I've tried every flipping side? I've tried that side, this side, the front, the back. I tried under the boat, mate. I've been doing this all night, right? But all of a sudden he remembers, hey, I've, I've heard that before. I've heard that before. Why don't you put your net on the other side? Why don't you put your net on the other side? And he remembers back to Luke 4 where that's how Jesus called him the first time. And suddenly a thing of recognition comes upon him. Right? This thing of, it's Jesus. 
The Bible says he just doesn't bother putting it. He just jumps out and runs to Jesus. And then Jesus says, Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Peter does him three times. And he just says, yes. And he goes, come follow me. See, Peter was much more able to follow Jesus when he went through the good and the bad. That's when he became the great leader that he was meant to be. When everything's just going hunky-dory and everything's great, God's just pulling manna out of the sky every five minutes for you. It's all right, easy to believe God. But when you come to that, a sudden disaster. And so that's why we've got to have an attitude that says, I'm going to look forward. I'm not going to look past. Sometimes you'll end up taking on some of those things, but look forward. Jesus reminded Peter, hey, I love you, Peter, but you've got a bigger purpose than fishing, man. You've got a bigger fishing than purpose. Because when you go back, all you end up is frustrated. All right, so I was frustrated. I was still in church. I still got all the mental knowledge and, and this kind of, but there was, it was just frustrating to me. Because I wasn't once again walking in my purpose, what it is that God had. So if you've had a reversal, if you've had a negative circumstance come towards you, then understand, understand that God is doing something. See that he loves you. Find his purpose in it. And then God will translate you over to here and you'll be in exactly the same spot. Amen? Oh, you can go take the board. Imagine someone came in and saw that. And they go, what the heck is that? All right, so. Was that another good squat? Look at that. <laughs> I want to say to you this morning, here, catch. Good catch. You can have hope. You can believe for better. This morning, I'm encouraging you to live not in the past, but with the future in mind, but according to the Word of God. God is the I am, the great I am. He's not the I was, and He's not the I will be. He's the I am. He is present today. If you look only forward, then you actually miss out on getting to your forward. If I'm only looking forward, I'm going to come to a big fall. Do you understand? So it's not good to look back because all I'll do is stand and, I'll, and not go forward. It's not good to only look forward because all I'll do is forward what's at my feet. I've got to live today, but my direction has to be forward. That's what I'm saying today. If you're just living out there all the time, like, oh, what's going on? What's God got for me? What's God got for me? The real truth is, is that the Word of God is a lamp into my feet. I do what God's asked me to do today. There's my light. And then every now and again, God brings up the light and says, this is where you're going. This is what I have for you. You have to live today with your future in mind. So right now, I'm going to get specific and I'm going to give you some homework. Right? So I think on the left-hand side of every row of chairs, maybe the right-hand side on this side or... There are some post-it notes. I want you to take a pen and uh, a couple of post-it notes. I should have a couple of post-it notes. I want everyone to have one. And you just do that and be completely distracted as I try and speak. So recently been focusing on the gospel. 
just had a whole church come together, all the different locations, and we spoke about the gospel and how wonderful it is. I've been challenging you to speak to others about Jesus, and I talked to you about our attitudes with those who have yet to become Christians. I reminded you that Jesus, after preaching the greatest sermon ever preached on the Sermon on the Mount, immediately as he comes down off the mountaintop, is confronted by a leper, someone it's uncomfortable to be with and to be around. And then he's confronted by a hated Roman centurion, someone that he shouldn't have anything in common with. And we reasoned that our Christian life and behaviour should attract the unlovely and the ungodly towards us and that our life in church should also impact us when we leave the church. So can we agree that's basically what I talked about? If you can't remember that, they say you only remember 5% anyway. So that's, I'm setting that up. Looking forward, we need to have a heart for the unsaved and a life that impacts people. Now let's kind of tie this all together in the last bit. I love my family. Obviously my immediate family, I love them. I just think we're such a church family. Today, I'm here at Warner. Nina and Rachel are at Redcliffe. And Jack, and, or Jack's away at the moment, and Tori's at Morayfield. But Jack's always at uh, Morayfield. So I love my immediate family. But I'm actually now talking about my extended family. My brothers, my cousins, my aunties and uncles. Those that have got a blood relationship to me. But I don't know about your family, but mine is less than perfect. Right? Probably because I'm in it. Right? But... Uh, and my family can be certainly interesting, to say the least. A member of my family, his Facebook post on Good Friday was this. My fishing rod, my $400 fishing reel fell into the sea as I was fishing. How could God who expects me to eat fish on Friday uh, do this to me? I can't wait for Christmas where the real God, Santa, will get me a new fishing reel with lots of expletives. There you go. My family's interesting. Yet if something were to happen to that family member, I'd be there in a second. Does it make sense? I don't say, oh, sorry, you got a false teachings around Good Friday. <laughs> You're out. Right? Imagine how horrible that is. That's not, that's not what it means to be separate. Family's interesting. You know, I, I would try to do anything I can for the members of my family, those immediate people that I love and care for, and, and I certainly want to see them in heaven with me. Now, if you're like me, and you've been a Christian for a little while, the question of your Christianity and family has kind of like come to an impasse. You're a little bit like Jesus, a prophet without honour in his own home. You've told them the gospel. You've invited them to church. You've prayed for them consistency. Yet let, let, nothing's really changed. So you and your family, just don't, just don't talk about it anymore. Right? I won't mention it if you don't mention it. And we sure as heck hope that they don't bring up some stupid thing from current affair. Right? To them, you're the wacky Christian, and to us, they're the ones living a life that's less than what it could be. 
And it's almost easier telling acquaintances or people we hardly know about Jesus than the ones that are closest to us, our family. And and there's some reasons for that. Your family know you, right? They remember everything you've done, right? And for me, I'm guilty, right? They know when you lie. They know when you're selfish. They know when you're just outrightly sinning. They remember it all so well, and they're happy to bring it up. So no matter what you do or say, well, you're just marked, right? My mum always used to say, don't listen to him, he's brainwashed, right? So you just, it's just what happens. They, they remember it, and so they find it easy to diminish you or to just to plainly dis, dismiss you. You know, my family has convinced itself that I'm just lucky, that everything just goes my way. They've seen the radical change in my life. They've seen my life prosper. They see my life go forward, but they refuse to give God any part of that. They refuse to give God any glory. To them, I'm just lucky. I've got the gift of the gab, and I can talk my way out of anything. You know, Nina, sometimes she just goes, there's just a thing, and it's just, it's not good. But that's family. I don't care who you are. You've all got that in your families. Right? It's all not just hunky-dory and, and everything. There, there are things that have gone on. There are circumstances and situations. Family's family. And, and sometimes you hate, not hate's the strongest word, sometimes you get so angry with your family. Sometimes it's just, ah, oh, my family. But yet Jesus loves them. And they love you too, no matter what it is that you sometimes think about. You know, something happened to me, they'd be on the next plane. You know, I'm about to turn a certain age and uh, we're having a little bit of a party and, and so a lot of them are coming for that. It's, it's, it's amazing, right? So it's good. But I want them to be in heaven with me. And I'm certain that you want your extended family members in heaven with you. Our families have more impact on us than what we actually know. They really do get in our heart. Just think about what happens when something happens. It's real. It's in our hearts. They're in our hearts. So this morning, I want us to do a reset. I feel like a lot of us, and maybe it's just me, I feel like we've got stuck in looking at how it's been rather than how it could be. And so I want us to believe that God is going to do something. And maybe the musicians can come back now. I want you to believe, pray, and act to to see the Holy Spirit do something new in their lives. So this morning I'm asking you to make a concerted effort to pray and believe for your personal family members to come to Christ. Believe, don't just hope. And it's time to start praying earnestly again for their salvation. It's time to once again look for opportunities to bring in the gospel. I know that they may not pay you much mind, but it's not you they need to listen to. It's the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit hasn't given up on them. The Holy Spirit is still going to work on them. And so I'm going to pray that this year God intervenes in their lives that they will be convicted. So this is what we're going to do. We're going to give you got your printing notes, and I want you to write down some people's names, and then I've got a cross. That's it. Oh, I'll just put this over here. 
So we've got a cross. Maybe can I just one of those microphones, please, there, Neil? So I got this cross. Dean made this cross. Dean made Dean made this cross. It's an awesome cross. And it's been sitting in my office for a long time. If you've come and seen me, you would have seen it. So I just love it. It's very heavy. It's made of pure brass. It's just fantastic. You know, Dean's very talented. He did the uh, Jonathan Thurston statue there at the stadium in Townsville. He just done the Alan Border one at the Gabba. Is that the Gabba or is that? Yep. And that. So he's done a whole lot of things and he made me a cross and that represents the Holy Spirit. And I love that. So what I want you to do, because... I'm purposely making it uncomfortable. Because if you've got to reach out to that family member, if you've got to do something for that family member, if you've got to take the time to consistently pray for that family member, you've got to do something. So I'm purposely asking you that you would write down on that sticky note and then just come and stick it somewhere on the cross. I know some of them will fall off. There's not something magic about it. But what it is, it's symbolic of the fact that you're saying, I'm going to give these people to Christ. I don't want to be stuck anymore, but I'm going to do something to move forward in seeing my family come to Christ. And I want to rejoice with you over the next year and years as different family members of yours start coming to church. I want you to see them being in church with you or a church wherever they are, some other church, putting up their hand at an altar call, praying, repenting, receiving Jesus in their hearts.